Welcome to Living Freely Podcast, where our mission is to provide you with down-to-earth topics on mental wellness and realistic tips for living life more balanced and achieving optimal mental health. Living Freely is brought to you by Norfolk Public Libraries in Virginia and hosted by myself, Rachel Ann Dine, licensed professional counselor and passionate about providing you with strategies and up-to-date information on mental health. Join in weekly for a brand new episode of Living Freely, helping you live well and be well one podcast episode at a time. Hi, and welcome back to Living Freely Podcast. So glad that you have tuned in today as always, and I hope that you're doing great. I hope you're having a wonderful week wherever you may be, wherever you may be tuning in today. With Veterans Day coming up tomorrow on November 11th, I wanted to really take some time to talk today about military and mental health and just share some information with you all about the psychological issues that sometimes active duty and veterans of the military face, as well as really tease out and describe what PTSD is, post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as a TBI or traumatic brain injury. So for the sake of today, if you hear me say TBI, I'm referring to that traumatic brain injury, and I'll explain a little bit more why I am wanting to bring up a TBI and kind of describe how it can affect an individual. So some of the other things that I'll share, of course, are also how even being active duty affects the wife and children or the spouse and kids of a military family. Maybe you're tuning in and you are the spouse of somebody who's active duty or you have a, you know, history of individuals in your family, maybe your mother or father who were active duty. And so that resonates with you. You kind of felt some of those effects of being in a military-oriented family because there can be different experiences that a family has whenever their loved one goes on deployment for an extended period of time. And just the emotional fallout, I know part of my experience in the mental health field is that I was a military and family life counselor in the school system, as well as several different child development centers. And you could always tell when, you know, a kid's personality, a child's personality kind of began to change a little bit when their mother or father had to go on deployment. And so it was just a really interesting position and way for me to kind of see the fallout, the emotional fallout that can occur. And of course, this is in no way meant to shame anybody for serving our country because I think that it is definitely such an honorable and admirable way to help our country and and so needed. And so it's just interesting. And I don't know if it's always talked about enough, some of the issues that can come up or just even talking about mental health in the military, it can be a little bit taboo. And so if you know someone who needs to hear this episode today, please don't hesitate to share it with them. Because like I said, I'm definitely going to be sharing resources on where someone can receive assistance for mental health while being active duty or even a veteran. 
So let me go ahead and just start by sharing 11 different facts about the mental health of our troops. And this was taken from dosomething.org. I thought it was a wonderful, comprehensive article. And you know, listening in that I love my different articles and research for the show. So let me run through a couple of these really quickly. The first fact that I'll share is that depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, also known as PTSD, which is essentially in a shorthanded version is an anxiety-esque disorder that follows experiencing a traumatic event, but I'll get more into exactly what PTSD is in a little bit. But depression and PTSD are the most common mental health problems faced by returning troops. The second fact is that the most common symptoms of PTSD include difficulty concentrating, lack of interest or apathy, feelings of detachment, loss of appetite, hypervigilance. This one is a big one. So if somebody has been out in a highly anxiety-provoking situation. I think about service members who have to go into areas where combat is taking place or they're carrying out missions where they must be on guard at all times and they return home and you're noticing that they seem really on edge, almost as if they're always looking for something to happen. This is this is uh, reminiscent of being hypervigilant. They can even demonstrate an exaggerated startle response and, of course, sleep disturbances, so lack of sleep or oversleeping. The third fact, and before I get into that, I just am really about sharing this information because if you are in a relationship with someone who's active duty, the spouse, or just a significant other, it can be really hard to know how to handle these different experiences. And so hopefully this will give you some insight or you have a a daughter or a son who are experiencing these symptoms. I I just think information, knowledge is power as always. So I hope that you will enjoy this episode or as I've said, share it with somebody who may need to hear it. But getting back to these facts, number three, PTSD is often diagnosed after several weeks of continued symptoms. The fourth fact I'll share is that about 11 to 20% of veterans of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars have been diagnosed with PTSD. The fifth fact is that 30% of soldiers develop some mental health issues within three to four months of being home. This is pretty, pretty reminiscent of research across the board. I'll share a couple other statistics, but 30% is a rather high number. And the sixth fact is that 55% of women and 38% of men report being victim to sexual harassment while serving in the military. And this was taken by and done by a research um, project, PTSD National Center for PTSD. How common is PTSD? This is also another piece where I think that there have been a lot of measures that are being put in place to, you know, hopefully eliminate any form of sexual harassment. But 
according to this fact, 55% of women, 38% of men do report being victim to sexual harassment while serving in the military. The seventh fact is that because there are more men than women in the military, more than half of all veterans experiencing military sexual trauma are men. The eighth fact is that, and some of these are just not talked about. I know that there have been some pretty high-profile cases and situations that have occurred where more light has been brought to this, but again, I just want to tap into a little bit about this today as well. The eighth fact is that an estimated 20% of returning Iraq and Afghanistan veterans sometimes will turn to heavy alcohol use or even drug use once they return to the U.S. This is very common amongst many people experiencing PTSD symptoms or going through a difficult time. You know, there can be that reach for alcohol or even substance use to try to self-medicate or deal with symptoms. And so... uh, in the military, there is the estimated 20% of returning Iraq and Afghanistan veterans who have turned to these coping coping medications is what I was going to say, but coping strategies that are in many ways maladaptive, unhealthy. The ninth stat is that between 10 and 20% of Iraq and Afghanistan veterans have suffered a traumatic brain injury, again, a TBI, Possible consequences of this internal injury often include anger, suicidal thoughts, and changes in personality. This is something I'm definitely going to get a little bit more into in talking about traumatic brain injuries because anytime the brain undergoes a concussion or, you know, head injury, it absolutely has the possibility and the strong likelihood to change an individual's personality. So the 10th fact is that in 2010, an average of 22 veterans committed suicide every day. And the group with the highest number of suicides was men ages 50 to 59. Again, this is a topic that sometimes is not discussed openly, but I want to go ahead and put this out there, especially if, you know, even you listening may be aware of someone who has taken their own life. And I just think the more that we talk about it, we destigmatize that this actually happens. You know, it's kind of one of those things where I think sometimes people, believe that just because we're not talking about something doesn't mean that it's not happening. And so I want to talk about it. That's, you know, just putting that out there. So the 11th fact is that some groups of people, including African-Americans and Hispanic individuals, may be more likely than white individuals to develop PTSD. And that was data, once again, taken from PTSD National Center for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. So as you can imagine, there are many different experiences that active duty military members and veterans go through in terms of some more statistics just to kind of give you the overview on how prevalent the onset of PTSD is. 
According to the Department of Veterans Affairs, 269,331 veterans were receiving compensation for PTSD as of 2006. One in five Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, so roughly 300,000 individuals, suffer from PTSD or major depression. So this is only in the United States that I'm referring to, but we know that any form of military service can yield similar effects. So um, there is also research that has been shown that children and families with high levels of deployment-related stress prior to a combat-related injury were more likely to experience distress that would lead to poor child outcomes when a family member was was injured. So essentially, so families that already had high levels of stress related to deployment or just related to stress in the family dynamic, and then their active duty service member received a combat-related injury, they were much more likely to experience distress um, after the family member was injured, which, which is very, you know, rather common sense when you think about it. But I do think that it speaks to the fact just as in any family, all families already carry with them high levels of stress and some have unhealthy dynamics that are already going on. Couple that with a parent having to go and be deployed. And then once they're on that deployment, being injured and coming home, if there was already that unhealthy dynamic in place, then of course, upon their arrival, it could almost be expected that the family dynamic may suffer. So we also know that in general, spouses of veterans with PTSD have higher levels of emotional distress than the general population. It has also been shown that partners of PTSD-diagnosed veterans experience more caregiver burden and had some poorer psychological adjustments than did partners of veterans without PTSD. So there is a bit of a phenomenon that occurs, um, and it is definitely the transitional period that happens After somebody comes home from carrying out a mission or being deployed, and deployments can range in time from, you know, all over the map, three months, six months, over a year. So, of course, there would be an experience of transition, and especially for the spouses and the kids to welcome back the family member who's been gone. You almost have to relearn who each other is. I mean, potentially the things that the active duty service member has seen while being deployed or on assignment could have been extremely traumatic. So then they're trying to grapple with what they went through. And sometimes there can be an expectation to just deal with it and keep going. And why is this affecting you so much? 
maybe even perhaps a lack of understanding because many times some of these missions, some of the things that happen on deployment, the active duty service member is really unable to share the ins and outs, the details. And we know, and especially if you have been an active listener here on Living Freely, that when we don't express ourselves or keep emotions suppressed, all it does is just increase that pot on the simmer effect where the pot can stay on simmer on the on the stove for a period of time but it does eventually get so hot that it boils over and so especially if someone as i was saying went through some trauma while they were gone if left unignored trauma can absolutely manifest itself through anger or irritability I, you know, of course, did the episode not too long ago about how depression symptoms can manifest themselves differently between women and men. So whether it's, um, you know, a a spouse, the the male or the female active duty service member, and for the sake of today, I am just referring to these two genders. Um, each individual can have effects of depression, kind of be brought on in that transitional period can become just heightened and more difficult to kind of really get used to and and deal with. So um, a couple other things that I want to share because, like I said, I think that this information needs to be put out there. We've got to normalize that these experiences happen. But in terms of coming home and the reconnection and reintegration that takes place, I found a great article in Psychiatric Times, and they shared that there has been a body of research done that indicates that as many uh, as 50% of veterans experience significant difficulty acclimating with, and they often have developing mental health problems to include PTSD, anxiety disorders, and or depression. And so reconnecting with their loved ones after repeated exposure to traumatic events and combat stress, even trying to cope with physical injuries that were sustained during combat or renegotiating roles as civilians in the midst of political or social or economic crises can completely present and just escalate an emotionally challenging experience both for family members and service members. You know, I've seen many documentaries on that transitional period, and I cannot even imagine being away from family for so long. Even, you know, this is something that even contractors and individuals in the National Guard face where, you know, I think about contractors, how, you know, sometimes they will go abroad for six months to a year and then have to transition back home. And even doing tasks like going to the grocery store or going to the doctor it feels so foreign because you have been completely immersed in a different environment for so, excuse me, so long. So this is definitely something to keep in mind. And Psychiatric Times also tells us, and this is kind of goes into what I was sharing about the, you know, suppressing issues 
for so long, it, it, it will eventually, they will come forward. And if the psychopathology or otherwise the symptoms causing mental health issues continue to go untreated, then we've got chronic conditions that can develop that then can lead to significant social impairment, marital issues or dysfunction, even job instability, suicide, substance abuse, or violent behavior. This episode is not meant to scare anyone or, you know, dissuade anybody from even becoming active duty, but I more so just want to provide, again, this education on this process and how it goes because I I think sometimes, like I was sharing, there is the expectation or maybe you've got a spouse who has been doing it all by themselves for months and months and months. And so they're excited to have, number one, hopefully the love of their life return and be happy and healthy. But they're also maybe looking forward to having some assistance because that could be a whole other podcast episode just on spouses and individuals who are in these long-term relationships with active duty military members and what goes on for them when their partner is gone. And so here they may be just so excited to have their loved one return only to find that their loved one is trying to battle with PTSD, symptoms of depression, or not transitioning as well as they thought that they would. So very important to understand, very important to know. There was also some research done that showed that there are kind of a series of different problems that can often be some of the top five issues that are faced in terms of um, transitioning or reintegration. So let me go ahead and share these with you really quickly. So this was a survey that was administered by the Military Family Lifestyle Survey, and they found that some of these top five concerns, both with reintegration, but then even being just part of the military lifestyle as a whole, were military spouse employment, time spent away from family, children's education educational needs, stability of the family, and then having a lack of control over military careers. And all of these are, I I don't know if you listening have had experience with the military or been friends with somebody, but many times, you know, you fulfill your uh, duty station for a period of time, you know, maybe it's a year to three years or so, and then you can easily be sent to move across the country or taken away from your family. And the stability of the family can be affected, of course, when deployment happens. But then also, kids' education kind of can be interrupted if you're frequently moving. Not to mention kids can struggle with making friends and kind of starting over just as military spouses can with their um, employment and even them creating a strong support network. So I just thought that that was very interesting, very timely and telling to this podcast episode today even. 
So a couple other quick things before I get into a little bit more about exactly what PTSD is and traumatic, what a traumatic brain injury is, is to talk about why sometimes active duty service members or veterans don't reach out for assistance upon coming back home or even experiencing depression or anxiety while they are active duty. And so it's been shown time and time again, active duty personnel and veterans can be really reluctant, even deterred from seeking mental health care because of shame, stigma, and especially, this one's huge, adverse career impact. There was a body of research I read not too uh, long ago that really talked about how you, you you know you must be in a pretty cognitively emotionally intact state that of course the military screens out whether or not you have a persistent mental health issue because you know rightfully so you could be operating heavy machinery uh, weapons things of that nature so of course I completely understand the need to really, vet out individuals prior to joining or while they're in the military. However, there's also another part of me that knows at the end of the day, a person who is active duty or even a veteran, they're a human being first. And we as humans all encounter anxiety, depression, loss, grief, difficult life experiences. I mean, no one is completely immune from experiencing depression or anxiety. And I do think, though, and this was backed by the Psychiatric Times, that the shame, the stigma, but most importantly, that adverse career impact can really prevent individuals from seeking care. And then sometimes we've got, you know, family members of military personnel who maybe they're struggling or suffering with their mental health. They can maybe even not be eligible for mental health care, either in VA settings or they can't seem to find a provider that they really click with if they are reaching out for individual therapy. And so I just have to normalize that if you've ever known someone who has struggled upon returning home, one of the best things that you can do for them is normalize that it's okay to reach out for help because truly they're a human being first and we as humans have to reach out for that support. I will share some resources, but also some other things just from my experience as this episode progresses on what you can do to reach out and get some assistance. Okay, so really quickly, let me go through what PTSD is. I'm going to try to keep this episode to the standard 45 minutes or so, but I have a lot to say on this topic. Um, So let me jump right into what exactly post-traumatic stress disorder is. So we, I'm sure tuning in, you've heard of PTSD. And ultimately, it's a mental health condition that is triggered by a terrifying event. So sometimes feeling as if you're going to lose your life in an event, uh, it feels extremely heavily, heavily anxiety-provoking. This can come about from either experiencing it firsthand or witnessing it. 
The other thing I want to share is that there is another form. It's not even a formal form of PTSD, but it's called vicarious re-traumatization. And this occurs when an individual experiences something firsthand or sees it, it doesn't directly happen to them, but they can hear about it. So I think about individuals who are deployed and they hear about one of their fellow service members who has been injured greatly or had to bear witness to something or they lost that fellow service member that can definitely incite vicarious re-traumatization. And a lot of those symptoms can be very similar to PTSD. So the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder can often start within one month of a traumatic event, or they can even start to break through the surface years after the event. Trauma is a very complex, interesting I'll go back and say that complex disorder, complex situation that can happen and how the brain handles trauma can be different from person to person. But we know that some of these symptoms can include, of PTSD, can include flashbacks, nightmares, severe anxiety, and uncontrollable thoughts about the event. We've talked a lot about adjustment and reintegration, but when an individual goes through a traumatic event, another kind of fallout effect of this can be difficulty adjusting and coping. And it should also be, you know, put out there just in terms of not reaching out for help because of the stigma and shame. Another reason to reach out for help is that with time, with receiving psychotherapy and potentially, in some cases, some, you know, medication management if need be for the treatment of anxiety, but mainly for, you know, attending even uh, group counseling sessions at the VA or just individual therapy, symptoms can be lessened. And so I have to put that message of hope out there. If symptoms become worse or continue to persist for months, even years in some cases, then they can absolutely begin to interfere with the day-to-day functioning. And this can be indicative that PTSD is present. And so this is something, too, that spouses and family members of individuals who are active duty should kind of keep an eye on um, to really be able to pick up, okay, this seems to have been going on for quite some time. I don't see, you know, symptoms lessening. Um, you know, maybe it's time to talk to my loved one about receiving some help. PTSD symptoms are also generally grouped into four different types. It can be intrusive memories. Intrusive memories can include recurrent, unwanted, distressing memories of the traumatic event, really intense emotional distress and issues, or even a physical reaction to something that reminds you of the traumatic event. One of the most common physical reactions that I have seen and heard over the course of my time in this field is 
if someone went to Iraq or Afghanistan and they they come home and you know I I think about um, things I've I've heard you know on the Fourth of July hearing fireworks go off this can be reminiscent of hearing you know weapons be shot off and so this can elicit some emotional distress even blackouts in some cases because it almost causes that person to relive the traumatic event and so that's a whole other piece of it is that experiencing flashbacks as part of intrusive memories and flashbacks can come about. Really, um, I want to say for no rhyme or reason, that's part of what an intrusive memory or an intrusive thought is. It can just pop up out of nowhere, but there are treatments for managing intrusive thoughts. And so, you know, whether it's through grounding, mindfulness, but especially grounding techniques. And then the last kind of intrusive memory is experiencing upsetting dreams or nightmares about the traumatic event. So intrusive memories is really that first, not even first, but it's one of the four types of PTS symptoms. But then we've also got avoidance, which is exactly what it sounds like. So really trying to avoid thinking or even talking about the trauma, avoiding places, activities, or people that remind you of the traumatic event. Once again, avoidance is very common. However, it's not effective because we just because we're not talking about something doesn't mean that it's not happening. So avoidance can definitely um, yield some other symptoms, which may include, and this is one of the third uh, components of PTSD symptoms, and that's negative changes in thinking and mood. So some of these symptoms of negative changes can include just experiencing utter hopelessness, whether about the present moment or even future moments, experiencing negative thoughts about yourself, other people, or the world, having memory problems, so not remembering aspects of the traumatic event, difficulty maintaining close relationships, isolating, feeling detached from family and friends, anhedonia or aka experiencing lack of interest in activities you once enjoyed, feeling emotionally numb, and then experiencing difficulty with positive emotions. So this would fall more so into kind of the depressive symptoms related to PTSD. Then the fourth category is changes in physical and emotional reactions. So that, that that's where you have that, that quick startle reflex, so being easily startled or frightened, hypervigilance, being on guard for danger, self-destructive behaviors, so drinking too much or even driving too fast, so engaging in those risky behaviors, um, trouble sleeping, overwhelming guilt or shame, irritability, angry outbursts, even aggressive behavior, and then trouble concentrating. You know, believe it or not, sometimes there can be that experience of overwhelming guilt or shame, especially if the individual feels like they let their team down, they let somebody else down, they let down their squadron or whomever they were with. And so while you as the family member may try to, you know, reassure you did all that you could, that that overwhelming guilt or shame is another complete part of PTSD that can come up. So um, 
couple other quick things, just the overview here, PTSD symptoms, we know that they can vary in how intense they are over time. So when a person is under an immense amount of stress, then we, then they may experience a heightened level of PTSD symptoms. And that's why that whole reintegration back into, you know, quote unquote, normal life can even be the impetus or the trigger for PTSD symptoms. Or maybe you notice that your partner, or if you're listening in your active duty, maybe you notice that's when you really isolate and kind of turn inwards because the stress becomes really unbearable and you're experiencing this secondary manifestation of PTSD symptoms. So, and then as I've already shared, we can, there can be triggers such as, you know, a car backfiring or fireworks being shot off. And and this all goes into reliving combat experiences. So we know that at any point, if I mean, really, my whole view is that after I I think reaching out for help at any time is appropriate, but especially if you're having those suicidal thoughts or you're observing in your loved one that they're experiencing really hopeless thinking or making states that they statements that they don't want to be living anymore, they don't want to be here anymore, then that's where we've got to get them plugged in to some treatment to help lessen these symptoms or start to go to some kind of group where everyone is talking about their shared experiences. And so the individual experiencing PTSD knows that they're not alone. So this is in, in a, you know, brief format, really the essence of what PTSD is. And there's, you know, I could just keep going on and on, but that's mainly what I really wanted to Describe today are the symptoms, what to know, what to look for. I want to get in really quickly to traumatic brain injuries and what can happen with a traumatic brain injury. So, if somebody goes into a concussed state or hits their head up against something or has an explosion happen that's really close to their head and their head jolts. I mean, this can even happen in a car accident. You know, anytime the brain is so delicate that anytime it is altered or um, something happens where there is an injury, then we know that there can be some fallout effects. So what can cause a traumatic brain injury is, of course, a fall, a really bad fall, as I've already shared, a vehicle-related collision, any kind of violence, so any kind of gunshot wound, or in some cases, domestic violence, and other assaults, even combat assaults, and explosive blast, and of course, the other combat-related injuries. And explosive blast, like I was sharing, you know, not to be redundant here, but they are very common cause of traumatic brain injury, especially in active duty military personnel. And although how exactly the damage occurs, it's, it's, it's hard to pin down. There has been a lot of research done that shows that the pressure wave that passes through the brain significantly disrupts brain function. 
Traumatic brain injuries can also result from penetrating wounds or severe blows to the head with shrapnel or debris. And then again, falls or bodily collisions with objects falling, following a blast. And so before I get more, more so into other aspects of traumatic brain injury, I want to share that once a TBI happens, you may notice that personality really begins to change. And in fact, this can honestly be one of the most difficult situations to deal with. It can be very hard for both the person who had the TBI, but then also the family because it can really create some impulsive type behavior. It can cause the onset of anger and aggressiveness that seemingly comes out of nowhere or is really unprovoked. And we know that the location of where the brain injury takes place can change how the person behaves. So there is a piece of the brain called, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but the orbitofrontal cortex that helps to control impulsive behavior, but then it also plays a role in a person's empathy. And so if this area becomes damaged, then the person may struggle to empathize with others, and then they may also be engaging in more reckless behavior. And so for an outsider, or you know, when I say outsider, I mean a loved one or a significant other, you may feel like your your loved one just seems completely different altogether. And you know, a head injury also can affect mood and behavior. So whereas someone usually was really laid back, maybe they were funny, they were the jokester, after that TBI happens, you may notice that their personality seems really completely different. They may seem sullen, you know, kind of depressed, more irritable than usual, just that overall on edge. And anytime the brain is injured, it can really cause rather impulsive changes that come out of nowhere. And so maybe even someone is functioning fairly decently and they seem fine, but out of nowhere they have an angry outburst or become angry disproportionately at something that's going on. So some of these emotional and behavioral changes that can occur after a head injury include, of course, the emotional lability, so the severe mood swings laughing or crying at situations that really aren't funny or sad. You know, like I was saying, those emotions that are just out of proportion or disproportionate to the situations or environment, there can be a flat affect. You may notice this either in yourself or if you're a family member of a loved one who is active duty or a veteran where their loved one comes back and they seem from deployment or combat or whatever the case could be, a mission, and their loved one seems less engaged or less interested in the rest of the family. And it really just has that flat affect, so a lack of emotional expressiveness, a lack of personality expression. I've already touched on this a lot, but there can be the aggressive behavior, which research tells us that about 30% of TBI patients report struggles with angry and aggressive behavior. 
There can be even some inflexibility or obsessive behavior that happens. This can also be known as perseveration. So someone may become really scared, angry, or confused if their routine changes, or maybe the individual becomes really focused on a topic of conversation and refuses to change the subject. Then there can be the egocentric behavior. So many brain injury patients can almost seem to develop a more self-centered personality after their head injury. And this can be caused by damage to the frontal lobe. So the frontal lobe is, is the part of the brain that really contributes to a person's ability to empathize. So it can, it, the right supramarginal urus, which once again, okay, I'm not going to get too far in the weeds, but this is the part that helps people overcome egocentric bias or that self-centeredness. And each part of the brain houses our emotional responses. It houses even our ability to be empathetic as you're hearing. And it's really an amazing part of our body how the brain is just is so powerful. And so of course, after having a TBI occur, we know that the personality can become greatly altered. So I wanted to make sure to really share that information because once again, if you're on the outside looking in or you are a family member, you may think, gosh, what is going on? You know, they got back and it's just all about them. When in actuality, it could be the result of a TBI. And sometimes people don't realize that a TBI can happen just from being close to a loud explosion. I even think about, you know, being on a boat and having to work around, you know, when the jets are taking off of the um, ship. Time and time again, if that keeps happening, you know, just to have that force be put on the brain, it, it could have the potential to kind of alter a person. So... Where can somebody get help? Where can someone receive help, whether you're active duty tuning in or you're a family member of someone and you recognize some of these things? Some of the resources I'll share, there is Military OneSource, which is a free service. I'm going to link all of these two in the show notes. That way you have them. There's actually a great article. It's called mentalhealth.gov, get help backslash veterans that I'll link that article because it really encompasses these resources nicely. Military OneSource, it's a free service provided by the Department of Defense to service members and their families to help with really a broad range of concerns, including possible mental health issues. They have an open hotline 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that phone number is one 800 342 9647. Again, I'm going to link this in the show notes. But then we've also got the Defense Centers of Excellence for Psychological Health and Traumatic Brain Injury, which provides even more information and resources about psychological health, PTSD, and traumatic brain injuries. And um, they have a also a hotline or a phone number that's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They even have a chat, Real Warriors live chat, where you can, if the thought of calling someone feels too much, you can chat with them. And of course, I'll mention TRICARE, which is, you know, the health insurance provider for 
active duty service members, um, retirees, and their families worldwide. Now, here's the piece I want to share. So whether or not you are a military service member, you're active duty, maybe you're experiencing anxiety and depression, but you are not wanting to talk about it because you're fearful that it's going to affect your career. You can reach out to a provider. I love the resource, again, Open Path Collective, which is something that I share a lot here on Living Freely because you can actually pay out of pocket for mental health counseling and not necessarily go through your command to get flagged. And I'm telling you this because I want everyone to reach out and get help for whatever may be going on. So this may not be something that's, you know, um, talked about frequently, but the reason I like Open Path Collective, you can also go to psychologytoday.com and, you know, whatever your income bracket is, maybe you can't afford to pay someone's full self-pay rate, maybe you cannot, And that's where Open Path Collective comes in. They offer counseling at a rate of $30 to $60 a session, which $30 is sometimes the amount of the copay. And it's kind of separate from going through the military for treatment. So your records don't necessarily have to go through TRICARE per se. There are some limitations to this when it comes to the limits of confidentiality. Of course, if um, the abuse of a child or a handicapped adult is reported if you're actively suicidal or homicidal or your court records for some reason get subpoenaed, then at that point, your civilian therapist provider who's not in network would have to disclose that by law. But if you are experiencing anxiety and depression and you want assistance, but you're too scared to go through any of these resources provided, you can always seek out individual treatment from a civilian provider. I just have to put that out there. We also know that, and there is a whole list of resources for veterans where um, the VA mental health connects veterans to mental health services that the VA provides for veterans and families. There are vet centers, the National Center for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. That's where a lot of the research from today's show came from, and the National Call Center for Homeless Veterans. I will absolutely link this this article in the show notes, as I've stated, but I am so glad that I've been here today to be able to talk about what I consider to be such an active or or a very important topic to share. I am so grateful to all of our military service members past and present for the work that you do for our country. I commend you. I commend the families of active duty service members because as I've already shared, that could be a whole other podcast episode on some of the things that spouses have to go through. Even military kids have to go through. And so if you know a veteran, if you know an active duty service member, give them a call today, give them a hug, shoot them a text message, Thank them for their service. And if you yourself are active duty, thank you so much for your service. And I hope that you have enjoyed this episode here today. Don't forget to share it with somebody who may need to hear it and could potentially benefit. So as always, take care. Thanks so much for tuning in. Happy Veterans Day. And I'll look forward to seeing you next week. Be well. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Living Freely Podcast today. As always, the information in this episode is not intended to diagnose or treat. It is highly recommended to find a provider in your area or by going to www.psychologytoday.com to find a therapist in your area. If you have enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to rate and review our podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts, so that we are able to be seen by more people wanting to get information on mental health and wellness. Thanks so much again for tuning in. We'll look forward to seeing you next week for an all new episode. Be well. Thank you.